We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. And welcome back to another edition of a pack a day podcast. My name is Nick Schmitz, and I will be your host today. You can follow me on Twitter at Sports Schmitty. And as we get more into this episode, though, you will find out once again why that's probably pretty unnecessary for you to do. Uh, joining me today is Jacob and Owen back again this week. Today we'll be breaking down the top 10 pass rushers that the Packers will be playing this year. And so we'll be getting into that in just a minute. But before we start here, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you might have noticed that I had an argument with my other team uh, not that long ago on Twitter over Qdoba versus Chipotle. And uh, so I want to start quickly by, uh, by starting with this. Jacob, you said you had an opinion on Qdoba versus Chipotle, so I gotta ask where you come down on it i do and first of all let me say that i still maintain that the only reason owen and i were pulled into this debate is because you guys were trying to nicely call us fat so (laughs) that is not true (laughs) and well you may be able to say that's not true on your end but that doesn't mean i believe you so um whatever i have moved on i just wanted to bring that up but i will say this Everybody who listens to this show knows I am from Rockford and also knows that Rockford is, for lack of a better term, a crap hole. And 
But if there is one thing that Rockford has in this town, it is places to eat. True. And I have had both Chipotle and Qdoba. And Rockford hasn't even deemed it necessary to have a Qdoba here in the city limits. So there is no question. There is no debate. Chipotle is significantly better than Qdoba. Thank you. Anybody who says otherwise, Nick, I'm not even lying. Like you might need to get a divorce. (laughs) Annie, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but your food takes are that poor that I would recommend me not get married. Well, well, luckily for me, uh, she is her thing is it doesn't like I mean she has preferences but like her big thing is is she getting fed and so like last week we went to Chipotle because she knows that I like Chipotle better than Qdoba so she's not picky but yes her 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 takes in food are a little uh, questionable I guess I could say and and Owen I'm given to understand that you don't really have a preference yeah, so to be honest, I'm not entirely sure if I've even ever eaten at Chipotle. <clears throat> there is a Kenoba in Waukesha. However, it's quite a ways down on the list uh, of where we would go. Um, but I can confirm, though, that Rockford does have good places to eat. There is a Panda Express right across the street from Rockford Speedway, um, <laughs> which I've personally experienced and can attest to. Also, I would put Panda Express before Qdoba or Chipotle. So that's my take. All right. Well, that's a, maybe we can pick up on that conversation two weeks from now. But uh, to be to be honest, guys, I don't think people are listening to our podcast for our food takes. But uh, I, nonetheless, they're they're very entertaining. So, um, but all right. So, guys, let's let's jump right into it. So, top ten pass rushers that Green Bay will play this year. So we have a list, and just like we did last week, this is a comprehensive list. Nobody needs to sit through each of us three's top ten. So we put this together beforehand, made a few changes, for the most part agree on everything. And so, But before we jump in, there were quite a few names on on our list. Uh, we We had quite a few names that we bounced around, so we couldn't possibly fit them all into a top 10 list so we are going to start with some of our honorable mentions and we didn't include any rookie pass rushers mostly because while there might be a lot of hype around some of them that Green Bay is playing because they've never played a down in the NFL didn't necessarily seem fair to put them on the list so Owen would you please just go through our honorable mentions quickly and as well mention the rookie pass rushers that are of note for uh, the schedule this year. Yeah, so when we were going through, uh, this was in the group chat, and we're like, uh, you know, what are the, are the pass rushers? So I went through the schedule and just listed all the prominent pass rushers, and um, there were 18, uh, including first-round rookies, which, as, as you just said, uh, we're not going to listen here, but, like, if you were picked in the first round as a pass rusher, I assume that you're going to be featured by your team uh, or at least continue to, like, be put in a prominent position in order to develop. Um so the, the four guys, the four rookies, first of all, are Nick Bosa from the 49ers, uh, Cleland Farrell from the Raiders, who was a bit of a surprise at number four, uh, and then Brian Burns, the Panthers, and Montez Sweat with the Redskins. Um, and those four led into uh, the, the non-selected, uh, non-selected guys from the top ten who are veterans. Uh, and this, I think, probably really speaks more to anything on – on the, uh, the task that the, the uh, Packers offensive line has ahead of them this year. Uh, the four honorable mention guys I have 
Uh, we'll start with Everson Griffin, who I think probably um, most people would admit is probably on the downslope of his career. A couple of years ago, he really hit that peak, and I don't think he's there anymore, but certainly uh, a very capable complimentary piece to Daniel Hunter, who we'll find on this list later. Uh, Brandon Chubb, or Bradley Chubb, excuse me. Brandon Chubb also plays linebacker in the NFL. People forget that. Bradley Chubb, the uh, bookend to Von Miller in Denver, who we will also bring up later. Uh, Chubb had, I believe, 10 and a half sacks last year. I've been wrong before. Had double-digit sacks as a rookie. Uh, was the fourth overall pick a year ago. And that was a uh, a big, or excuse me, the fifth overall pick to the Broncos. It was a big help for Von Miller um, and somebody that narrowly missed the, the top ten here. Um, the other one, Derek Barnett uh, from the Eagles, a former first-round pick out of the University of Tennessee. And he's a guy that uh, I know, you know, Michael Kist and Benjamin Solak have a show on, on their SB Nation podcast. And I know that the Eagles as a fan base are fairly split on Barnett, but I think he's a pretty talented guy. I think probably he's ideally a career number two rusher that should get somewhere in that eight, seven to eight sack a year range. And then Trey Flowers, who uh, was the most recent benefactor to the evil genius of Bill Belichick by proxy of whatever defensive coordinator they have in New England, um, just got paid a healthy sum of money from the Detroit Lions. And while he's by far the most dangerous pass rusher the Lions have, uh, Flowers certainly more of a uh, brings a lot more value as a utility knife or a um, you know jack of all trades, master of none type. So while he he will be likely their best pass rusher, wasn't able to make the top ten of our list. So those are the other eight uh, that aren't on the top ten. So again, Bosa, Burns, Sweat, Farrell, Griffin, Chubb, Derek Barnett, and Trey Flowers. All right, yeah, and so I mean. When you hear some of those guys that were left off the list, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, just what in the hell Green Bay is going to have to do this year against some of these guys that are on the list. Because uh, a lot of those guys would probably make a top ten list uh, in in many other in many other categories, in many other ways. So, um, well, with that, we will jump right in, starting with number ten, Brandon Graham from the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Packers played the Eagles Week Four last year. He tallied four sacks for the Eagles, so not high in sacks. So, Jacob, kind of give us a little bit of insight why he comes in at number 10. Yeah, disruption is production, and Brandon Graham is definitely disruptive. Uh, the Eagles' defensive line as a whole, over the last two seasons, you can argue, has been maybe the best and deepest unit in the NFL. They had the recently retired Chris Long. Uh, Owen mentioned Derek Barnett, who was on uh, his – he was a rookie when they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Fletcher Cox is on that team. They signed Vinnie Curry this year. They have a very good unit. Brandon Graham is a special, uh, specialty player for them. He kicks inside on third downs and becomes an interior rusher for them in that regard. So that's something that he's able to bring some versatility on. He's somebody that if he were a free agent, I know a lot of Packers fans wanted uh, Brian Gutekunst to pursue him. Uh, and arguably – uh, maybe outside of the Philly special, the biggest play in Philadelphia Eagles history came from Brandon Graham on a strip sack of Tom Brady that allowed them to, well, it could have allowed them to put the game away. The Eagles offense wasn't able to get a first down on that play or on that subsequent drive, but they did go up eight to where the Patriots needed every bit of the points that they could have gotten to win the game, and ultimately they didn't even get in the end zone. But Graham's active with his hands. Um, he did a good job at Michigan as a strong side defender. He's a very good run defender. Uh, and I think that that's something that 
kind of gets lost a little bit. I understand that uh, in the pass-happy modernization of the NFL, uh, that run defense is almost kind of taken for granted. But if you're a good run defender, it does set up some things uh, for you later as far as being able to get to you know, third and eight, and you can just kind of pin your ears back and go. So Graham is a very good player. Uh, the Packers are going to have their hands full with a lot of these guys, and Graham is just one of them. And really, he's able to work so well with all the other guys on there. I mean, an interior rushing tandem. Last year, the Eagles rotated a trio of Fletcher Cox, uh, Brandon Graham, and then um, a member of every Packer fan's least favorite football family. So I'll let you guys figure out which family that is. But uh, he currently plays for the Patriots, played for the Seahawks beforehand. Do some math. Um, but, yeah, they have, they have a really good group, and, and Graham's kind of like the leader of that pack. He's kind of the Wiley veteran now, which is strange because it doesn't seem like that long ago that the Eagles traded up significantly in the draft to acquire him. Yeah, well, and, you know, so, Owen, throwing it to you here quick. So I feel like a lot of times we get hung up pass rusher. You look at the sack number, right? That's the first number everybody looks at. So when you look at four sacks last year and even just – Looking at his stats as a whole in his career, he's never had double-digit sacks in his career. So uh, how does he make the the top 10 with such low sack numbers? Well, I think people forget, too, that Graham's really only started for like three or four years. Uh, he was a, a rotational guy before that. And uh, he did only have four sacks last year. I believe he was being dinged up a bit. Uh, had, I believe, nine or nine and a half, though, the year they won the Super Bowl. And... As as Jacob mentioned, I'm not going to you know expound too much on this, but um, him having four sacks had a heck of a lot to do with Michael Bennett being on the field and Fletcher Cox being on the field and Derek Barnett being on the field and Chris Long being on the field and a lot of other guys that the Eagles have had as good of a defensive line as anybody in the league over the past couple of years. Lodi Nata, um, you know, has found his way through there as well. So I mean, there's quite a bit of talent in that that Philadelphia room and they kind of cannibalize themselves. They kind of like, um, you know, if you watch like the Ohio state wide receivers, everyone's like, Oh yeah, well they never put up any stats. I'm like, well, yeah, they've got like four or five star guys out there. Like they can't all be the premier guys. So I think Graham's a bit of a victim in that way. And I think that he's plenty capable uh, and, and could potentially, uh, you know, maybe end up being a, a bit of a benefactor if there's maybe a bit of a less, uh, star-studded rotation in Philly, maybe his stats will kind of uh, go back to where they were prior to that. He's still not going to be um, the primary concern of any team um, when he's playing with Fletcher Cox. So that doesn't take anything away from Brandon Graham, but um, certainly someone that you can't can't forget about. Uh, otherwise, he'll hit some on you quick. And as we've seen with the Packers offensive line injury situation in the past, obviously don't want that to happen again. But Brandon Graham certainly isn't someone that you want to face with like a backup offensive tackle. Absolutely. Well, Brandon Graham coming in at number 10 for the Eagles. They'll, they'll be seeing him week four. So moving on to number nine here, a guy that uh, was actually rumored to potentially be coming to Green Bay in the in the offseason. Uh, D. Ford from the 49ers will be playing uh, D. Ford week 12. He was with the Chiefs last year, uh, made it all the way to the AFC Championship game. 13 sacks last year, very good numbers. Owen, D. Ford, number nine, he seems to be kind of up and down. He's been in the league five years. This will be his sixth year. He In 2016, he had 10 sacks, and then in 2017, went down to 
two, and then last year went back up to 13. Uh, you know, kind of seems hit and miss. You like him at number nine? Yeah, and I think that, that inconsistency is probably why he's lower on our list. I don't think he's the ninth most talented guy on this list. But, yeah, Ford's a guy that it's going to be interesting to see what he does now. He's been in that 3-4 in Kansas City uh, with he and Justin Houston, which over the last couple of years have proven to be an extremely potent combo. And, you know, getting that uh, traded to the 49ers for, I believe, a second-round pick. Um and he, he's a guy to me. Like he's a speed. He's a he's a snap jumper. He's a a a cadence guesser. Um, but he really does have that big time first step. And a lot of his sacks, he's almost untouched just because he's able to get underneath and around the offensive tackle he's against. Uh, you know, it took a few years to kind of get his his sea legs about him. I think, but he's a guy too that especially when you pair him with DeForest Buckner and Solomon Thomas and Arik Armstead and now Nick Bosa. With that front four of the um, of the 49ers, there's a lot of talent. There's that's that's five first round picks um, along the, the the defensive line. So to me, Ford's a guy I think should continue to improve. I don't think uh, he'll. I don't know. I think it'll be he's going to another good situation. I mean, obviously he had Justin Houston and and Chris Jones in Kansas City, and now he's going somewhere too. Uh, obviously, the more defensive linemen you have on the field, the more one-on-ones you create. So I think he could benefit from that a bit. But uh, he's a guy to me that that's extremely – that inconsistency is very scary because, as we'll talk about a guy later on this list, you know exactly what you're going to get. You don't always know what you're going to get from Ford, which could be seen in a negative light but could also be seen as like, yeah, D. Ford hasn't had a sack in the last three weeks, so he'll probably have like four today. Um, you know, so one of those things, he's a very talented guy, um, you know, like a speed rusher, which, which never fails really. Um, and, and someone I think is going to benefit from being in another super solid situation. Yeah. And, uh, yes, you are correct. A 2020 second round pick is, uh, what he was traded for. And, uh, you know, Jacob, when we look at, you know, first of all, when he was traded to San Francisco, you weren't going to avoid him this year anyway, cause they're playing the Chiefs in week eight. Uh, we'll be talking about that in a little bit. Uh, so it's not like you were necessarily going to avoid playing D4, but uh, it it seems like, I, I don't know, it just seems like San Francisco's always got great pass rushers. You know, I, back when they, when they had that Super Bowl run, they had a great defense. And, I mean, here's just another guy at number nine that, you know, Green Bay is going to have to deal with again. And, I mean, uh, you know, is this – is this somebody that, you know, is going to absolutely blow away Green Bay or is this something that they can, you know, work around and, and, and be able to to protect Aaron Rodgers from? I would uh, definitely look for, you know, Owen mentioned he's a speed rusher. Uh, the, you know, the thing about D4 has been inconsistency, uh, which he also mentioned. But, you know, something that I would look for for the 49ers to try and do is get him matched up with Brian Balaga, and that's not a slight against Balaga. It's just Balaga in his career has typically struggled with elite speed like that. Now they're playing on; they're not playing on a fast track like they would in Detroit or somewhere like that. But nonetheless, with that being his main trait, David Bakhtiari, that's one of those guys you're not worried about anyway. So I think most teams should be trying to match up their better pass rusher on Brian Balaga because. Well, I mean, David Bakhtiari might be the best left tackle in all of football. 
Um, I would love to see him and Owen get into a beer chugging contest to see who would win that. But that's what I'm interested in. Uh, with that in mind, that being said, to you asked if they could protect. Yeah, I think they could. Something that I'm interested to see, and you see this gauntlet of rushers that the Packers have to go against, is Mike McCarthy was notoriously stubborn for not giving his tackles help. And essentially it was, you know, hey, we're putting you on an island, and if you can't handle that guy, you better figure out how to handle him. Uh, And that didn't matter if it was David Bakhtiari or Don Barclay or Josh Sitton playing left tackle instead of left guard. He just threw his guys out there and hoped for the best. Whereas Matt LaFleur, we don't know, might be a little more willing to help. And with some of these guys they're facing, he might have to. D Ford's one of them. Uh, you know, you mentioned the inconsistency is obviously an issue, but maybe the Packers happen to catch him on the week where, like Owen mentioned, he hasn't had a sack in a couple of weeks, and so now we're looking at three or four. Yeah, well, let's certainly hope that's not the case. So number nine, D Ford, week twelve for the Forty ers and uh, hopefully, hopefully he's not too much of a nightmare for Green Bay. So moving on to number eight, Melvin Ingram. Uh, for the San Diego Chargers, they'll be seeing him in Week Nine. And just a quick spoiler alert: he is the uh, first of two players on this list from from the Los Angeles Chargers, not the San Diego Chargers, like I like to call them. So, Owen Melvin Ingram seven sacks last year. Again, this you know I look at the number seven, and it's 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 good. But you know I'm starting to look at some of the other numbers on this list: twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Melvin Ingram, seven sacks last year. Why number eight? Okay, so to me, Melvin Ingram is like one of the most underrated players in the NFL. Um, I was very, mu- I very much wanted the Packers to pursue him. Uh, obviously, the Chargers ended up re-signing him a couple years ago, but he's a guy to me. I remember watching him. He was, I believe, a year or two older than Jadevian Clowney when they were out South Carolina, and they had uh, Clowney and Devin Taylor, who ended up playing for the Lions. Those were their defensive ends. Melvin Ingram played defensive end in college. They bumped him down. He was like 270 or 265. They bumped him to three-tech at South Carolina so they could get Clowney and Taylor both on the field together and was an absolute animal inside. He was so quick that they got, teams couldn't handle him. And as he's obviously moved back outside in the NFL – He's a guy to me, like, it's – when he was there for a few years, he was really the only pass rusher they had. So then I think probably throughout his career, his production probably hasn't been what you'd maybe think of or or what you'd warrant as number eight on this list. But um, obviously now with, with Joey Bosa as his bookend there uh, and Gus Bradley there, they've those two have, have really done a ton to elevate what the, the perception is of that Chargers defense. You know, a lot of people got all excited when they were able to go uh, dime last year against the Ravens and do all that late in the year. And they did all that stuff with all those extra defensive backs. The reason they can do that is because like you can legitimately rush with like three dudes with those two on the outside. Uh, they're both very hard to double team. Uh, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about Joey later. Uh, but Ingram, Ingram to me is a guy that's always going to be a bit underrated. And he's a guy that honestly is probably like what Jacob just said. He's the guy that when you have two guys that good, I think you can put whichever one you want on Bakhtiari and the other one, um, you know, Ingram being a bit more of a speed guy, I might be that guy that end up ends up on Belaga, but that's to me, they're one of the most undersold uh, pass rush units in the league. And I met, like I said, Melvin Ingram to me is one of the most underrated guys in the league. Um, although if you watch his NFL 100, he certainly doesn't feel as though he's underrated. Um, he says he's a player in the league. So, um, 
other than that, uh, like I said, he's he's a guy that I've, I've really admired for a long time, and I think probably doesn't get his due. Uh, and now, obviously, with Joey Bosa getting picked third overall or whatever it was, fourth overall, Ingram's going to be the second guy listed. But like I said, to me, he's he's a top ten dude probably in the league. Uh, much less who the Packers play this year to me. So, um, you know, Ingram comes in here at eight, and, and I guess that's, I, that's no knock on him to me uh, to put him at eight. Yeah, when well, you know it, when we start getting up into these other numbers here, it's 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 just the reality is it's just it's hard to crack this list that that we're going through here. Uh, just some of the names we'll be talking about. But Jacob, you know, again, he seems pretty consistent. You know, seven sacks last year, 20, 2017, he had ten and a half. Twenty sixteen, he had eight. Going back to 2015, he had 10 and a half again. So, I mean, seems to be a lot of consistency with with Ingram over the years with in, uh, well, San Diego technically and Los Angeles with those numbers that I listed there. So it seems pretty consistent across the board there. Yeah, he's a monster. And, I mean, I'm not – under with Ted Thompson being your favorite team's general manager, you learn to not really – pine for a lot of free agents, but I know that the year his contract expired, that was the guy I wanted. I believe the Chargers franchise tagged him. So that dream died pretty quickly. But Ingram and Bosa, I mean, with all due respect to Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, I think that is the best pass rushing tandem in all of football. Uh, The Chargers, uh, Owen mentioned, you know, the reason they were able to do so many things with a million defensive backs is because, like I said, they can almost rush with three uh, against anybody uh, because those guys are so good that it just makes everything else on the rest of your defense better. So the consistency is definitely a big deal there. Uh, they have a legitimate all-pro type player. Uh, I don't know if Ingram's an all-pro, but he's definitely a very, very good pro player. Um, and I, I, the Packers are going to have their hands full with that Chargers game because their offense is very good. Talent has never been a question for the Chargers really in the entire Phillip Rivers era, they've always been very talented. Their problem has been they underachieve. Uh, and, you know, your reasons for that can vary to a bunch of different things, but they've just never been able to get over the hump. But you would think that, you know, if you look at your main positions of importance in the NFL, they have the quarterback, they have Phillip Rivers, they have two stud pass rushers. Their offensive line was very good last season and their defensive back, I mean, with Casey Hayward, Derwin James, they have a very good secondary back there as well. So, yeah, Melvin, the Chargers are a scary team. Yeah, Melvin Gordon, Keenan Allen, too. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, they're all supremely talented. Antonio Gates' old ass is still out there getting like ten touchdowns a year just for sheer chemistry with Philip Rivers. I mean, they dusted him off at the end of training camp because Hunter Henry got hurt, and Hunter Henry's a legitimate stud, and they get him back this year. The Chargers should be on the short list of everybody's Super Bowl picks. Once we get to that point in time, obviously, I I can't bring myself to pick them, and maybe that's not logical or whatever, but they always seem to find a way to screw something up. But Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, I mean, if you're going to beat – you're in the AFC. If you're going to beat Tom Brady, you're going to have to hit him, and that's a really good start. And they added Jerry Tillery to the defensive line this offseason as well. So they've got a really good group there, and it starts really with those two guys on the edge, and we'll talk about Joey here in a little bit. Yeah, and if it, if it, if it gives you any – insight into uh, how good these guys are the Chargers are the only team 
on this list to have multiple players. And you're going to find out just how impressive that is with some of these other names coming up here. So Chargers will be on this list yet again uh, coming up shortly here, the only team with multiple players on the list. So Melvin Ingram coming in at number eight. Moving on to number seven, Frank Clark uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs. They'll be seeing him week eight. Uh, He was in Seattle last year. And uh, had 13 sacks in Seattle last year. Was traded in the offseason to the Chiefs uh, for a first-round pick this year and a 22nd-round 20, pick. Um, so here's another guy, uh, you know, on the move. Numbers look good. Uh, so, Jacob, Frank Clark, number seven, seems to make sense. Yeah, it does. He's a really good player. The I struggle to understand what exactly the Chiefs were thinking this offseason with what would you, I mean? What would you rather have? The guys you had last year, and don't give me the scheme nonsense. Just because if Steve Spagnolo is worth his salt, he can figure out a way to make that work, and he should have figured out a way to make that work, in my opinion, as you can tell here. But throw. Would you rather throw the bag at Frank Clark and lose a first round pick, or keep Justin Houston and D Ford for one more year? For I think it ended up being like four less million dollars to sign Frank Clark. Uh, for an average annual salary. I think that's what that number ended up being. But nonetheless, Clark's a good player. Um, He's had his issues in the past, which have been well documented. I don't think we need to get into those things. But something that is helpful from Green Bay in this standpoint is we were talking about all these loaded defensive lines after playing. Chris Jones is a legitimate stud, but they don't have another guy on the other side that you're like, okay, this guy can hurt us if we double. We can't double Frank Clark. You know, it's kind of like what the Packers were hoping when they drafted Nick Perry is you can't double Clay Matthews anymore because Nick Perry can hurt you or Julius Peppers can hurt you. That's kind of when that all that stuff sort of stopped. The Chiefs don't have a guy like that, at least not right now. So that's another one where you might see sliding toward Frank Clark. But he's big, he's mean, he's nasty, uh, and he gets after the quarterback. And that's something that with as many points as you anticipate the Chiefs scoring this year uh, – I mean, they're going to be in the lead a lot, so teams are going to be passing against them. So they need they needed somebody. I just don't know if it was the wisest decision to not run it back with what they had if their other option was trading a first-round pick and throwing all the money in the world at this guy. Yeah, well, and, you know, Owen, one of the things I'm, I'm kind of wondering here is, so the Chiefs traded away D Ford and then brought in – Frank Clark. So when you look at these two players, um, who who is, I guess, who, who should the Packers be more worried about? And and I know it, it, you know, team systems, all things are different. But I mean, when you're looking at it from a player perspective, I know we have Frank Clark higher than D Ford on this list. But I mean, just because he's higher on the list, does that necessarily overall make him a better player? And and how does he how does he make this Chiefs defense different than D Ford did? Well. I- while I agree, I think probably being a higher in the list doesn't necessarily mean that you're a better football player. I think in this instance, this is the case. Um, I think Frank Clark's probably a better all-around football player than D Ford is. The other thing to me, like, and I know um, Justice Mosqueda's talked about this multiple times. Like Frank Clark, for like for two or three years, was like the best pass rusher in the NFL that no one had heard of. Um, obviously, because you had all that star power on the Seattle defense, and he kind of rotated and didn't always start because they had. Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill and they had all that stuff like since Clark got drafted he's been an absolute stud and and to me I think like I think he's still only 20 
25 or 26 years old. Um, you know, he's a, he's a younger guy. And to me, I mean, Frank off or Frank Clark scares me a lot, uh, to be honest. I think he's, um, you know, he's a more all around pass rusher too. Like he has the speed that Ford does, but to me, like I said, Frank Clark's a better football player. And while I agree that D Ford's situation is much more, uh, advantageous for him, I think probably than what Clark is inheriting in Kansas city. Uh, you know, I, to me, like Clark's is a better, better pass rusher, um, not a better speed rusher, but a better pass rusher, uh, than D Ford is. And I think probably a better football player as well. All right. Well, there you have it. Frank Clark coming in at number seven. And again, that'll be week eight when the Packers play the Chiefs. Moving on to number six. And this is really uh, number six was interesting for me. So Ryan Kerrigan of the Redskins. So first thing I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I, he was the only player on this list that I had to look up. I never heard of him. And uh, I was very immediately told to be shamed of that because um, I'm looking at some of his numbers here. Just listen to this and then just think to yourself of that he's at number six, and that'll give you an indication of one through five. So he came in the league in 2011. Here's his sack total starting in 2011. Seven and a half, eight and a half, eight and a half, 13 and a half, nine and a half, 11, 13, and 13. I mean, Owen, what what is happening with this guy here, and how is he only number six? Yeah, dude, future Hall of Famer, Ryan Kerrigan. You heard it here first. He, um, No, he's he's very good. He's been a guy, we kind of mentioned this tongue-in-cheek, uh, he's been hurt through the media because he plays for the Redskins, and the Redskins haven't been very good over the past five, six years, so you haven't really heard that. But he's one of the most consistent pass rushers in the league. Again, I think, like, to your point, I, I mean, like, Melvin Ingram and D. Ford and Frank Clark are all more talented than Ryan Kerrigan is. You know, like, so being higher on this list doesn't necessarily mean that he's the better football player at this point anymore. But Ryan Kerrigan's a stud. And, I mean, they lost Preston Smith this offseason. And, and in the past few years, they've had guys like Junior Gallette and some of those other guys be the, the bookend to him. They've got Ryan Anderson they took in the second round from Alabama a couple of years ago. Um, and, obviously, they drafted Montez Sweat in the first round this year. But, to me, like, he's he's a guy that he's he's just rock solid, fundamentals all the time. Um, you know, he's a big dude. He's like six four, two sixty. He doesn't really look it or you don't really think of him like that, but he's a great, he's a big guy. Uh, they do a good job in that three, four defense with him. And, and he, like I say, he's a guy that, um, while he may be, if there's one, one complaint, it's that he maybe seems to rack stats against some bad teams. Uh, that's not his fault that they play bad teams. Um, so I mean, to me, maybe those stats are a bit inflated from getting to play the giants and stuff twice a year, but uh, you know, it's, it's, he's 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 a very underappreciated. He, Melvin Gordon and he are probably by far the two most underappreciated guys on this list. And like I said Kerrigan to me is is a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's averaging like nine and a half or ten sacks a year for his career, um, heading into year eight. So to me, he's a guy. I think he'll end up with well over a hundred sacks in his career. And a guy that the uh, I know Jacob mentioned this, and obviously we're not playing three or four years ago, but uh, absolutely blew up the Packers. I think it was on a Monday night game against the, the Redskins a couple of years ago and a guy that I never enjoy seeing on the schedule. Yeah. Well, and you know, so we talk about his stats now, Jacob, what I want to know from you is, you know, Owen mentioned that, you know, some criticism is stat inflation from playing bad teams. I'm wondering how much of it is stat inflations from green Bay Packers, uh, free agent signing Preston Smith, just, you know, making it so easy for him to get all these sacks. How much of that is part of part of his skill? I, I'm kidding. Um, but, I mean, obviously, you know, great player. And, you know, I guess 
Number six, though, for a guy that is averaging this many sacks, uh, I, I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> it's friggin' terrifying is what that means. I mean, this is a guy who Owen mentioned the game a few years ago. Uh, it was the home opener against Washington, obviously, and he destroyed the Packers. He played well against them this past year, played well against them in a playoff game. He's one of those guys you almost take him for granted, I guess, because he's not Von Miller. He's not Khalil Mack. Like, you're not going to see this move where Ryan Kerrigan just one arm Reggie White throws the offensive tackle and then makes the sack on it. He just – every play is consistent with him. You know, you talk about the inconsistency of some of those guys that we had in the past, like D Ford and uh, even Frank Clark to some degree, maybe not quite the same, but just having those guys. Ryan Kerrigan's not that. He's consistent. He's one of those dudes that's going to be a leader on your defense. Uh, not to go into too many of the typical stereotypes that come with somebody that looks like Ryan Kerrigan, but it's true. Uh, he's he's a monster and absolutely terrifying. Owen said it. He's not somebody I like seeing on the schedule because he's not. And, you know, I thought when Green Bay played Washington in the uh, playoffs a couple seasons ago, that was one of the first guys I circled was they have Ryan Kerrigan. And Green Bay better figure out a way to block him. Otherwise, you know, the Packers offense that year, for those that remember, wasn't that good. And if they weren't able to block, they were even worse uh, than they were that season. Like the Packers offense really was just run around, hope receivers get open and throw it up. Well, in order to do that, you need to have protection. They didn't have. If they didn't have that, then you get thirty-eight to eight, like you had between the Cardinals that season. But Kerrigan's a monster, uh, consistent effort, and a motor, and an absolute freak on the field. So, somebody that every team is lucky to have. Thankfully, if the Packers are going to make a run in the playoffs, Washington's not a team that they're going to run into that often. So you don't have to worry about it all that much. Yeah, and, and so. And- to me, sorry, Nick. To, to me, like Kerrigan might be the first guy on this list where you look at and you're like, it doesn't matter which guy he lines up over because even against someone like Bakhtiari, which to, I th- if I I haven't seen a ton of Redskins football, fully admittedly, I think he probably I think he plays over right tackle more, but he's a guy to me that like would scare me going up even against like Bakhtiari. Not that he's going to have some huge game or anything, but he's going to have a sack. I mean, like you can't like he's so he's too good consistently. He he doesn't have the peaks and valleys that a lot of guys don't do, um, but he's too good to really be held down. And he's a guy that that if you move him from side to side, doesn't even against it would like a, a sack against Bakhtiari wouldn't surprise me from Ryan Kerrigan. Well, yeah, I mean, with with the, some of the numbers he's put up, yeah, I, I would be I would be incredibly shocked if he didn't have at least one. Uh, you know, this is a guy that's averaging ten and a half sacks throughout his entire career, which is just just impressive. So Ryan Kerrigan coming in at number six. Again, that's week 14. So Green Bay will have plenty of time to prepare for him. So uh, moving into number five, uh, our first division rival on this list, Daniil Hunter. They'll be seeing him week two at Lambeau and then week 16 in Minneapolis. Uh, 14 and a half sacks last year for him, which is tied for the most uh, sacks of any player on this list from last year. Uh, we'll see another 14 and a half coming up in just a few minutes here. But uh, Jacob, Daniil Hunter, I mean, this is a guy that Packer fans know. Um, I mean, doesn't need much introduction other than the fact that I feel like he's kind of going into that Ryan Kerrigan territory again that Owen was just mentioning that he's probably going to have a sack in probably each game against Green Bay. I hate this guy uh, because – 
he's an absolute terror. He was an athletic freak uh, that was drafted in little to no production uh, coming out of college. He was one of those guys that actually really it's interesting. He's been compared to uh, by some to Rashawn Gary with in that regard from the standpoint of he has all the measurables, but he hasn't had necessarily the production to go to go with it. So um, with that in mind, Hunter was the guy. So when the when the Vikings signed Kirk Cousins, <laughs> Sorry, Can't even get through that sentence without laughing at it. <laughs> the Vikings signed Kirk Cousins to that contract, and everybody's like, oh, they're going to lose somebody, whether it's Anthony Barr, Stephon Diggs. Uh, the guy I was hoping that they lost was Danielle Hunter. And some credit due to the Vikings front office from the standpoint of they've been able to keep that team together, whether or not it matters at the end of the day and they're able to win big, which when you give your quarterback that kind of money, obviously that's what you're hoping for. Um that was the guy I was hoping they would lose because he's been better than Everson Griffin for the last two seasons. Uh, this list obviously tells you that, but I think most national lists and casual fans will tell you, no, Everson Griffin's better by name recognition. It's kind of like if you guys remember like in the late 2000s when Greg Jennings was better than Donald Driver, but nobody – outside of the people who really paid attention in Green Bay would tell you that. So, like, Greg Jennings was the Packers' best receiver from 2007 until probably, what, 2013 when he left the team. Uh, But everybody would have probably thought still it was Donald Driver for that little period of time. So very similar in that regard. I mean, the guy's a monster. I mean, you're going to hear that a lot over the next five guys because they are, but the guy's a monster. And – I hate when the Packers have to play against him because he really makes that whole defensive front just even nastier than they already are. Yeah, well, and, you know, again, looking at these numbers, Owen, we just talked about Ryan Kerrigan, who's averaging 10.5 sacks over his career. Here's another guy over four seasons is averaging 10 sacks, six in his rookie year, 12.5 in 2016, seven in 2017, and then 14.5 last year. I mean, this guy, I mean – Again, I it just what do you say about him other than the fact that you really wish you didn't have to play him twice in a year? Yeah, and I mean, just like Jacob said, you know, just like people would think that Clay Matthews is better than Kyler Fackrell, but you know, unless you watch the Packers, you wouldn't think that. Um, <laughs> that no, only yeah. applies to last year. <laughs> Hunter's a guy that he really uh, he was at LSU and he was at LSU pre Dave Aranda so he kind of fell into that same trap that like Barkevius Mingo and some of those other guys did that like it wasn't maybe well known or as well known throughout like but he wasn't if you ever watched him they're like wow he really can't get off the ball and I'm like well yeah because if you watch he isn't watching the ball um, you know, they played a lot of that tackle read system there where um, I think it was really kind of accredited to be like a Bo Pelini system um, that where they're they're really looking to read the offensive tackle as to what the play is prior to the ball being snapped, and it's not so much of the uh, play the run on the way to the quarterback type of situation. So to me, he's a guy. I think he had like four sacks or something as a, as a junior in LSU and came out, and everyone's like, "Wow, like that's really not that great." And then he came and tested like an absolute freak, and then all of a sudden the Vikings are like, "Well, we're just going to let you watch the ball and get ten sacks a year." And it's it's worked pretty well. So Hunter's a guy. I mean, yeah, I think probably even maybe even three years ago, really surpassed Everson Griffin as a player. Um, you know, just, just didn't have the name recognition, but now he obviously does. And and he got the bag. 
and uh, things are good for, for Daniel Hunter. And I agree uh, to what Jacob said. Huge props to me, uh, to, to Rick Spielman, uh, for being able to keep all of them together. Because, and you were exactly right, when they paid Kirk Cousins $84 million, completely guaranteed, I figured they would lose <laughs> <laughs> every time it's said, every time it's said, you just got to laugh at it. It's good, but yeah, I figured they'd lose Diggs, or they'd lose Hunter, or they'd lose Adam Thielen, or they'd lose Anthony Barr. Um, you know, and and really to to the the Vikings' credit, they've been able to keep everybody. So, um, you know, I, yeah, I mean, Denell Hunter is it's much less of an indictment of him and much more of an endorsement of the rest of the list. When you say that Donnell Hunter is the fifth best pass rusher the Packers will play this year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Jacob, I feel like I should just get a laugh track for every time we mention that Kirk Cousins contract, but uh, $84 million. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, all right. Daniel Hunter coming in at number five, uh, number four, Joey Bosa. This is the second chargers player to make the list. We, Mentioned it already. Uh, comes in at number four. Again, that's week nine when they play the Chargers. Only five and a half sacks last season, but he only played in seven games. So uh, let me let me give you 2017 and 2016 for reference. 2016 is rookie year. Ten and a half sacks in 11 games started, 12 games total played. And then in 2017, starting all 16 games, 12 and a half sacks. So the five and a half sacks from last year, Owen, that is just a complete product of him being hurt. I mean, again, this is this guy's in three seasons averaging almost 10 sacks, and he didn't even play in like over half of a season. So, I mean, it makes sense that he's coming in at number four. And he also has to deal with his, his bookend getting like 12 sacks a year too or 10 sacks a year too. I mean, Bosa Bosa's a guy that like – was a bit of a product of like draft Twitter, like knowing he was so good for so long that they almost like maybe like Ed Oliver him. And he kind of, everyone's like, Oh, well, I don't know. Maybe he's not that good. Like he's good, but maybe he won't be freak show good. And he's just continued to be better and better as a pro. I mean, he's, I spoke very glowingly of Melvin Ingram earlier on this podcast and it took Joey Bosa exactly what did you say he played in his rookie year 11 games or 10 games he, he played games. he played 12 games and started 11 that's how long it took him for be to be better than Melvin Ingram you know like it was just one of those it's he it's a good situation there in in, San, in Los Angeles excuse me with Gus Bradley as a defensive coordinator there being able to to really just play nine on nine because you're gonna be you know you're gonna let those two go and and to me that's they're a product of each other, but they're also better together because of each other. Because each of them are so good, um, you know, they, they both benefit there. So, uh, both as a guy, I'm really glad we only have to play them once. Good Lord, can you imagine this? And, and, and only like once every four years for that. Right. When, can you? I mean, can you imagine if, if some team in the division had two dudes like that that you had to play twice a year? They're they're two studs, and, and Jacob said that we're going to hear that a lot. But um, I mean, they're two two premier guys of the position, and they both play for the same team. Um, you know, so that was it's really like when the the Broncos had Von Miller and Demarcus Ware. It's probably the last time I could really say, um, you know, or like when the the Giants, even back in the late two thousands, had Strahan, Tuck, and and Human Yura. So uh, very high praise for me from for these two defensive defensive ends, and they're to me completely deserving. And and Jacob, I I know I know you probably just love hearing about the Bosa's being a Michigan fan and then being from Ohio State. So I mean, you know, coming in at number four, I you know probably probably begrudgingly that you put him there, right? Yeah. Okay. But did you know that Jake Kumro is their cousin? Thank you. 
<laughs> all the more reason to keep him on the roster, right? Yeah, let's see if we can play defensive end. I hate the Bosa's. Um, both of them. <laughs> I, I have nothing good to say about any of them other than they're really good at football, and had they not worn scarlet and gray, I would probably like them a lot more than I do. But I will never forget – I think it was, well, I shouldn't say I'll never forget because it sounds like I'm a little fuzzy on the details now, but it was a couple of years. It was Jim Harbaugh's first season as Michigan's coach, and Joey Bosa lined up across from uh, Michigan's right tackle at the time. It was, the game was not going well. Typically it doesn't when Michigan plays Ohio State. So, <laughs> hey, facts are just what they are. So that's just how it is. But, uh, the game's not going well, and Bosa takes Michigan's tackle, throws him out of the way like he wasn't even there, and kills Jake Rudock. And Rudock just laid there on the ground, and, I mean, he was hurt, so that's why he laid there. But it was a perfect microcosm of the state of those two programs. Here's Ohio State, and here's Michigan, and this is how Ohio State plays against Michigan. They throw him out of the way like they're not even there and kill them. So it's super – it's great. Bosa sucks. He'll probably kill Aaron Rodgers this year and make me hate him even more. Well, uh, I, it, so, it sounds like you're a little sad there, Jacob. Uh, you know, if there's any Michigan fans listening to this, uh, just, you know, cheer Jacob up if you can. Uh, I'm really hoping that he doesn't kill uh, Aaron Rodgers because if he does, we're all blaming you for it. So um, hopefully, hopefully not the case. So Joey Bosa, number four. Moving on to number three here, Demarcus Lawrence uh, coming in at number five from Dallas. Or I'm sorry, coming at number three, I'm looking at the week. Week five is when they'll play him uh, when they go to Dallas. And ten and a half sacks last year and just part of that great defensive front that they have there in Dallas, Jacob. I mean, you know, it makes sense that he's at number three. Yeah, I tend not to like Cowboys players either for various reasons. It's funny because, you know, a couple years ago, Jerry Jones came out to the media and said, you know, that he was looking for a quote-unquote war daddy pass rusher. And it was like he didn't even realize he had Demarcus Lawrence on his roster at the time. So the Cowboys are, I think they just finished a contract extension for him, so they're going to keep him around for the foreseeable future. But Lawrence really has been the only consistent piece on a defensive line that's included a first-round bust, which is Taco Charlton. And, like, every other defensive end has been suspended for substance abuse policy, it seems like. So Lawrence has been able to stay on the field, thankfully for them. Uh, but he's a monster. He's really good as a run defender. He can kick inside. His chop, uh, arm chop across an offensive lineman to keep his hands off of him might be the best individual pass rushing move other than Von Miller's spin move maybe in all of football. Uh, and we'll talk about Von Miller here pretty quickly. But Lawrence is incredible. He's one of those guys now, though, because I honestly, I don't, I'm not trying to be funny, but I can't keep track of all of Randy Gregory's suspensions. So I don't know if he'll be available when Green Bay plays them early in the season. Randy, or not Randy Gregory, excuse me. Uh, David Irving said he was quitting football until they changed the drug testing policy. So he won't be available. And Taco Charlton was kind of a one-trick pony when he came out. of Actually, Taco Charlton was a first-round pick almost solely based on his one game at Michigan against Ohio State where he had five sacks because Ohio State's offensive lineman couldn't get his hand on him. Uh, but otherwise, he, he hasn't been anything special in the NFL. Maybe he could be. This is his third year, so that's kind of when you start to evaluate some guys. But he's a guy who, thankfully, he's that good. Uh, he really 
is the backbone of that Cowboys defense. But with their front, the way that it has been, they have some good guys on their roster, but he's the only real elite one that you can game plan around. So maybe they can focus on him a little bit more. But yeah, he, I mean, again, like I said, you're going to hear this a lot. He's a monster. He's absolutely a stud. Somebody that the Packers haven't had on their team since 2010's version of Clay Matthews. I mean, that's how good we're talking here. Probably better than that version, to be honest with you. Yeah, and just looking here, Randy Gregory's suspended indefinitely, so who knows? He might be there, he might not be. So, um, But, you know, Owen, when we talk about Demarcus Lawrence, here's another guy that, you know, has been in the league five years, didn't have a sack in his rookie season, but then eight in 2015, then it dropped down to one in 2016, but he was hurt, only started three games, and then it went up to 14 and a half in 2017 and 10 and a half last year. I mean, this is a guy that, again, he just we're, we're kind of at that point in the list where it's like, duh. Um, but, you know, again, I, I mean, what more do you say about him? Yeah, he's a guy. I remember uh, I didn't know a ton about him, to be honest, when they drafted him. And then when they had he had that, that rookie year, he didn't have a sack, um, you know, Younger Owen was like, wow, like that was kind of a bust, really. Like he was kind of hyped out of Boise State and then didn't really do much. But then, yeah, very quickly changed my tone on that. And he's a guy, too, that Dallas seemingly has decided to upgrade every single division. Excuse me. Upgrade every position on the defense except for the other defensive linemen. Now, obviously, they took Taco Charlton a couple of years, like two years ago in the first round. Um, and they took Tristan Hill at defensive tackle this year. But, I mean, really, the – they took Leighton Vander Esch in the first round. They took Jalen Smith in the second round. They don't even need Sean Lee anymore. They took Jordan Lewis high. They took Shadobia Awuzie high. They took Byron Jones high. Like their secondary has very quickly gotten pretty decent. Uh, and and Lawrence is really to the common fan. Lawrence is the only defensive lineman that you could name on that roster. I mean, I know they've got like Tyrone Crawford and God Malik Collins. Dayton Jones and Antoine Woods. I mean, just a lot of a lot of misfit toys, and Demarcus Lawrence. And obviously, David Irving had that one very ha- like half a year where he got like red hot. But I mean, other than that, they haven't had a ton. And I mean, for him to be as good as he's been without a without a, a premier, you know, helper or rusher, um, you know, I, I don't think he has anybody on that team that's uh, worthy of of being mentioned on even in the the honorable mention, you know, I don't think he's got anyone as good as Trey Flowers or as Derek Barnett or, or Evans or Everson Griffin. Um, you know, so he's a guy that, that to me has continued to impress. And I, he's, it's a joy to watch him play, not against the Packers, but watching DeMarcus Lawrence is something that as we get older, I think this age of pass rushers where there's so many good ones kind of hurts him. But like, he's a guy that's going to be looked on, I think, at his career. And they're going to be like, we didn't know or we didn't appreciate how good he was for how long he was good. All right. Well, there you have it. Demarcus Lawrence, number three again. They'll be seeing him week five. Moving on to number two, Von Miller from the Denver Broncos needs no introduction. We're really at the duh part of the list here. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, Von Miller, week three, 14 and a half sacks last season, Owen. Uh, again, this is the tied with Daniil Hunter for the most sacks from last year of any player on this list. Um, I, I mean, Von Miller needs no introduction. I mean, I like, duh, right? He's been the best defensive player in the NFL for the last six or seven years. Um, and I think we're probably getting to the point in his career where we might – start to see him slow down 
a little bit. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like that long ago that, you know, Marcel Darius was picked the pick ahead of him. Um, you know, and you can, I can, you could try to figure out the last time when you could remember that Marcel Darius was revel- relevant, but you can't, um, you know, but like Miller is a guy that he's just, he's been exactly what Denver thought he was going to be uh, when they took him and everyone's like, yeah, well, the, the bills are going to take Miller and the, the Broncos are going to take Darius cause they fit better for their scheme. And then all of a sudden the bills took Darius and then all of a sudden you're like, well, I don't know. Cause the, the, the Broncos run a four three and I don't know if Miller can play defensive end and they're like, no, it's cool. He's just going to play Sam. And then he's going to rush on third downs. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, well, we'll see how that goes. And he's just turned in a hall of fame career. Like, and it's not even close to being done. So, I mean, he's a guy that spin move. Jacob mentioned it earlier. It's the best move in the NFL. Um, and, you know, and especially now, and, and he's, to be fair, he has had good help. He's had DeMarcus Ware across from him. He's got Bradley Chubb now. Uh, but I mean, to me, um, and, and you mentioned earlier, like there aren't very many disagreements we had on this list. Um, and, and I won't fight it very hard, but I had Miller ranked number one. Uh, so, I mean, to me, that's, that's where he's at for me. I, like I said, I, I won't argue much with, 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 between he and number one, um, you know, but to me, uh, Von Miller has been what a pass rusher is supposed to be for God, what, six, seven year, eight years now. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, um, it's interesting. I'm looking at his numbers right now, and uh, we'll, we'll explain why number one is number one, and I'm sure at this point anyone can probably guess number one. But uh, this is a guy with uh, eight seasons, 98 sacks in his career, averaging 12 and a quarter sacks over his career, and he's only had one season, Jacob, in which he did not reach double-digit sacks. That was t- 2013. And he only played nine games and had five sacks. Otherwise, his next lowest was 2017, when she only had 10 sacks. I mean, this is a guy that, like, we talked about Ryan Kerrigan just, like, going to get a sack. Like, I mean, can we just, like, pencil in at least one and a half sacks for him in week three? Yeah, and probably a forced fumble, too. Uh, He is the prototype for when I think of elite pass rusher, this is the guy who comes to mind, and he's been that way. Really, since he was drafted, uh, you got to see him play in Green Bay a few years back. Uh, or excuse me, when Green Bay went to Denver, excuse me, against Green Bay. And that was the year that the Broncos ultimately won the Super Bowl. And they have, I mean, the Broncos' defense that year, I know it, it really gets touted as like Peyton Manning's final Super Bowl. And I get it because it's a quarterback, and Peyton Manning is arguably the best quarterback any of us will ever see play. Uh, but that was Peyton Manning's corpse and Von Miller dragged that team and that defense, which was very good, but it was very good because of him. You know, uh, Owen was mentioning some of the guys he's had to help him. Uh, and that's great. DeMarcus wears a hall of famer, Bradley Chubb, very good early in his career. That defense is good because of him. And when you're the guy, it just means a little bit more. And Von Miller, I mean, if you look at it, that AFC championship game, and Super Bowl, which he was ultimately named MVP of, that might be the greatest two-game stretch for a defensive player in the last 10 years. Von Miller had a a couple of sacks against Tom Brady. He intercepted him in the AFC Championship game, had a couple sacks against Cam Newton and a forced fumble that ultimately led to a Broncos touchdown, which with that Broncos team, points were hard to come by in terms of them scoring them or giving them up, which is ultimately why they won the Super Bowl. He's terrifying 
And like I said, the his spin move is the best pass rush move in all of football. Um, I, I mean, you run out of superlatives to say about Von Miller, but he's one of those guys. You know, Ron Wolf always talked about you want guys that tilt the field in your favor. Von Miller is certainly a field tilter, uh, and the Broncos are even as he's getting a little bit older. I, I'm with Owen. I would have put him number one as well. I understand the reasoning why we put somebody else there, but I would have put Von Miller number one. He is an absolute monster and terrifying. And I don't envy Philip Rivers and Patrick Mahomes and Derek Carr, or whoever John Gruden decides is going to be the quarterback. Yeah. So certainly, I mean, again, we and we discussed it. Von Miller obviously very deserving of the number one spot. Uh, comes in at number two. Be seeing him week three in Green Bay. Uh, moving on to the number one spot, if you haven't figured it out by now, we put Khalil Mack at number one. This was really the only kind of discrepancy within the list was whether Khalil Mack or Von Miller uh, would go number one. And ultimately, uh, we kind of decided, and that's actually, honestly, my my reasoning that we put him at number one, and it's for the simple fact that Green Bay now is stuck playing Khalil Mack twice a year for the foreseeable future, whereas Von Miller is once every four years, and Von Miller certainly deserving of number one, but just having to play Khalil Mack twice in a season, I mean... I'm sure I'm sure Chargers fans and Chiefs fans and Raiders fans can tell you it's no fun playing Von Miller two times every year. So, uh, but coming to number one, Khalil Mack, the Packers will be seeing him opening night, week one, and then when uh, when they come to Lambeau uh, again in week fifteen. So, Jacob Khalil Mack again, we're we're at the duh stage. Um, not much to say other than the fact that he kind of, in a sense, pretty much derailed Aaron Rodgers' season last year with uh, all the havoc he wreaked in week one. Correct. I remember, obviously, last year, Nick, I think one of the first two or three times we did a podcast, we were talking about the possibility of the Packers trading for Khalil Mack. And, well, I mean, regardless of who had traded for Mack, I would have wished that it would have been Green Bay. Now I certainly wish that it would have been Green Bay because he's in Chicago. And I remember – it was opening weekend of college football when the Bears acquired him. And the way I found out, my friend Vince, who lives in Las Vegas, uh, we, we were talking later at, that night, and then I told him, you know, that I was probably hitting the hay. And then he said, hopefully we wake up to some good news. And then the first message I got from him was at about 7 o'clock in the morning. And it was, uh, well, 7 o'clock in the morning here, so it was 5 o'clock in the morning in Las Vegas. And all it said was shit. And I was like, oh, great. So we didn't get Mac who did. And then I looked and saw it was the bears. And I was just praying from them that it would fall through. And it didn't. Uh, Khalil Mack almost single-handedly won the bears a game against the Packers. He took a ball away from Deshaun Kaiser. They took three points off the board. And then Deshaun Kaiser threw a screen pass right into his lap where I still maintain. I had no idea what the hell he was looking at, nor why Mike McCarthy called that play in that situation. I'm very rarely play calling guy, if you will. But uh, calling a screen pass when you're just trying to get the hell out of there and go to the locker room with your backup quarterback and hope that your starter is okay, uh, not the case. Later in the season, Khalil Mack would go on and sack Aaron Rodgers with his ass. So there was also that <laughs> by the end of the year. Um, the Raiders, I'll never understand. Anybody can try and justify it however they want that you know having all these guys is better than having just one guy. I firmly disagree. 
Uh, Cleland Farrell is going to have to be an all-pro player in addition to, I believe, with the Bears pick this year, they drafted Josh Jacobs. So kudos. You picked a running back. Sorry, Owen, but you picked a running back with a pick that you traded an elite pass rusher for. The Bears' defense was already good before they had Mack, and once he was there, it went from good to elite. I mean, this is a guy who was an MVP candidate before he hurt his ankle, and then he essentially played. He had a hurt ankle, and then he played two games on that hurt ankle where he was essentially on one leg, so he couldn't do anything. But when he was healthy, he was a monster. He fits in perfectly with the Bears in that culture. He's another face of their defense, another guy that we have to worry about hurting our legendary quarterback in the lines of guys like Brian Urlacher and going all the way back to Mike Singletary and players like that sort. So fits in perfect. It sucks. I hate that Green Bay has to play him twice a year. Yeah, and, you know, Owen, again, you know, what more do you say other than the fact that you really, again, just like Daniil Hunter, just wish you didn't have to play him two times in a season? Yeah, and, like, I knew he was very good with the Raiders, but uh, fairly, like, to be honest, like, I'm not going to lie to you and say I watched, like, a ton of him play with the Raiders because, like, why would you? Um, so, I obviously knew he was very good, but I very much undersold him coming to Chicago, and especially, like, he didn't play at all in the preseason. And while some people will tell you that that doesn't matter, like, being in game shape absolutely matters, and that's a very hard thing to replicate. You can practice and, um, you know, you can run wind sprints and gassers and do anything else you want, run suicides on the basketball floor. Until you play in a game, it's not the same. And so to me, I was like, okay, he's going to come out and he's going to play 15 snaps because that's a lot uh, when you're tired, when, when you don't have any, um, you know, reps before this. And I was like, he's going to have 15 s- snaps and he's going to be whatever. And I'm pretty sure like in his first 15 snaps, he had like two sacks, a force fumble and a pick. And I was like, okay, like I would com- complete idiot. Um, so, I mean, yeah, he's a stud. He's a game changer. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, you hear all the cliches. Well, you have to know where he's on the field at all times. Like you have to know where Khalil Mack is on every single snap. Like, if you don't, he has the potential to make any play call you call wrong. Or, you know, if you any if you think you're going to run a play action, you better have, as, as much as I might get made fun of this, you better get him to buy into the run, like, before that play. Because, <laughs> like, if it's not like you're having Aaron Rodgers turn your back to Khalil Mack with, like, Jay Sternberger blocking him, like, LOL. So, um, to me, I mean, like I say, he's the uh, – he and Von Miller have been the two best players in football on the defensive side of the ball for the last two, three years. And um, like I said, very, very admittedly was wrong on underselling Mac uh, and the impact he would have immediately on that Bears defense. So um, won't make that again. And uh, yeah, man, just uh, Ryan Bullock gets his Wheaties and Matt LaFleur runs a bunch of wide zone at him and outside zone and everything he can towards that side to, to, make him slow down half a step to, to give Rodgers a chance. Yeah, certainly, again, not somebody that you want to be seeing twice on your schedule, but the reality is that's what Green Bay is going to be doing over the next couple of years with him. So, well, that is our list, uh, one or ten through one, and let us know what you guys think. Maybe you disagree with Khalil Mack being one. If so, yell at me. The other two wanted to put Von Miller at at, at one so uh, you can yell at me for that uh, let us know what you guys think though about our list um, and uh, just also keep in mind this is just how like horrible this list is the first five weeks 
Green Bay plays one of these guys on the list. So the first five weeks, it's Khalil Mack, Daniil Hunter, Von Miller, Brandon Graham, and then Demarcus Lawrence. So the first five weeks, Green Bay is definitely going to have its hands full with just elite pass rushers uh, throughout throughout those first five games. So it'll be something to very much keep an eye on. And I know that Jacob and Owen, uh, this will springboard into maybe two weeks from now about the conversation of importance of offensive line play. So we don't have any time to get into that as we are way over on time. But uh, nonetheless, a very good springboard for a conversation. So quickly, guys, before we wrap up here, uh, Jacob, Owen, how can people follow you guys on Twitter, interact with you? Jacob, how can people uh, get in touch with you? You can find me, it's at Jacob Westendorf, and you may search my timeline for all Glaber Torres related propaganda. God bless you, Theo Epstein. <laughs> and and Owen, how can people interact with you on Twitter? You can follow me on Twitter at Reese Draft, it's R-I-E-S-E Draft, and you can see me make a lot of self-depreciating jokes, and I yell at people and call Andy Benoit stupid a lot. And uh, yeah, I started watching. I started watching Black Mirror, so that's a new thing too. So, um, you know, like I said, come for come for making fun of Andy Benoit for not thinking that teams haven't figured out that Ty Montgomery wears eighty eight <laughs> year five in his career. And uh, yeah, stay for the Archer gifts. It's a good time. All right, and uh, as always, you guys can follow me on Twitter at SportsSchmidt. And as Jacob consistently points out, there's no need to, but I, I just got to get this off my chest here real quick. Uh, there's a reason why, and and you have to look no further than any tweet about the United States women's soccer team. Uh, And that's all I'm going to say. And if you want to know more about who I might be as a person, just go to YouTube and type in comedian Bill Burr, and I'm basically the same person as far as how I react to people and things. So uh, with that, we are out of time. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for sticking with us through this very long podcast. We're trying to get through them as quickly as possible, but uh, you know, just trying to bring you the best content possible. So thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for listening. Make sure you're liking us and subscribing to us on your favorite podcasting platforms. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. Um, and again, thank you guys so much for all the support that you guys have given us over the last year here. And we are literally like what, three and a half weeks away, guys, from the start of training camp, something like that. So it'll be here before you know it. Football will be back, and we'll have lots of great content when that arrives. So thanks again for listening, everyone. And as always, Go Pack Go!
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.